On the Empire Podcast this week, we have more guests than Christmas round Jamie Lee Curtis's house because of uh, Christopher Guest. Yes. And, and also she's a fabulous hostess. Fabulous hostess. Lots of great turkey. Lots of turkeys in Jamie Lee Curtis's house. Not her career. Thank you. We need yeah. to make it absolutely clear. This is still the intro. First up, we have Chloe Grace Moretz talking about the miseducation of Cameron Post. Then we have Dave Bautista talking about shooting at West Ham's ground. Something West Ham fans won't know anything about. Boom, that's a football joke. And last but not least, we have Bart Layton and Barry Keoghan talking about American animals. Woof! All that and more on the movie podcast that might, just might, be playing Thomas Wayne. We shall see. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, jam-packed bumper round this this week, and we're going to be racing through it. And I'll be racing through it with two colleagues of such lethal cunning. We have our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm well, except for I joined a new gym, and now none of my limbs work. So. <laughs> why, okay, why did you do this? I you already run three marathons a week. Know. I don't know. I was trying to get better at running marathons and... I thought if I did some cross training that would be helpful and now now I literally can't lift my arms and everything hurts. Oh my god. I might be dying. James Dyer is also here, which is nice, I guess. Hi Chris. How are you? I'm feeling feeling bathed in the warm embrace of your welcome. What um what's your keep fit regime? I <laughs> crushes his enemies. I, I, yes. <laughs> I, I crush my enemies, see them driven before me and hear the lamentation of the women. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. And and push a giant wooden wheel around while sort of grunting yeah. and sweating. And are you carb loading during this? Well, what's your Atkins, protein actually. shake? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Eileen Atkins? Well, what, what is that? <laughs> no, my uh, get fit regimen is, is relegated to occasionally not taking the lift at work. Because <laughs> my ba- impatience outweighs my laziness. I got back into it in a big way this week. What, the lift or? No, fitness. Really? The whole, yeah, the whole running thing. And I got back in a big way because uh, as of this week, in fact, as of last week, but now officially as of this week, I will be coming in your ears every single morning, oh, should good. you so no. desire it, no, uh, because want... Empire is hitting Alexa. Jumbo, you can explain this as well because I still I, I do it, but I still don't understand what it is. Yeah, so your voice comes out of the magic box because the genie in it sort of channels you. Yes, thank and that's you. how it works. Yes. So there's a genie that lives yeah, inside. So it's a your special Alexa. lamp that you can buy from Amazon. It's uh-huh. called an Alexa lamp, and then they rub it, and then they ask the genie for the movie news, and your voice comes in and gives them the news. So yes, to be clear, you don't have to rub your Alexa to make it work. Well, then I'm doing it wrong. Well, uh, so yes, yeah, so uh, we have a new skill, which is not like. You know, like when young people think something's good and they say it's a bit skill. It's not that. It's, it's not that. It's it's an actual skill, an Alexa skill, an Empire Alexa skill, which you can get off the, uh, well, the skill store, the Alexa. otherwise known as Amazon. Yeah. And uh, it means that you can have your daily briefing from, from, you know, as well as proper journalists and news outlets like the BBC, you can uh-huh. get them from us as well. And you can hear Chris in your ear every morning uh-huh. at seven banging uh-huh. on about seven. some old shit. Seven. I highly recommend you don't. Before if you eight. choose to. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're lucky if you get it at seven. Yeah, before Because you're eight. off running somewhere. Well, this is the thing, right? So I'm, I'm doing this Alexa business now. So uh, I get up every morning and it, it's not a podcast. Let's just disabuse people of that notion. It's a very, very brief trawl through the day's movie news. So it's me going, here's what's happened uh, for film news and then talking about it. But I do do it uh, sometimes I'm in my pants, sometimes I'm fully nude. And so I want you to be able to listen to, you know, as you listen to Alexa briefings every day, see if you can guess from the tone of my voice which times I'm fully clothed, which times I'm semi-clothed, and which times 
I'm completely and utterly in the buff. Can we have a special code for our readers where you use a certain adjective to denote the level of undress that you're, you're doing it in? I imagine Helen is <laughs> shaking her head just like this is not happening. Just as I mean, not just as a lawyer, as a, as a human being, <laughs> as a citizen of Helen, the planet. Surely, let's sure, let's not. Surely yeah. you remember the good old days of Naked News. I do remember the good old days of Naked News, and I distinctly remember not wanting to know about nudity <laughs> we, at the time. Should we? Have we told people? We have, I don't think we have. Have we never Naked News on the podcast before? We oh, must have. let's not now. Okay, uh, so no, we should We If should everyone remembers this. the early noughties and a thing called MSN, which is uh, the, the Microsoft Instant Messaging Program, we used to do news at home for the website before coming into work, and we would get on the little Instant Messenger thing, me and Helen and Chris and a few other people, and chat about what we were right about, and we would mention the fact that we just got up and Chris would be undressed. Why would why why me? I mean, I mean none of the rest you. of us were claiming to be you. naked. Yeah, I didn't claim to be naked. Well, that claim has been made for me oh, by him. You, oh, you claimed? <laughs> I, was, I thought you were. Were you just claiming to be nude? Do you consider it more artistic if it's nude? <laughs> <laughs> I only do it if it's gratuitous. <laughs> I am not naked, madam. I am nude. I'd like to just make clear because I'm not 100 percent sure it was. We were all in different places when we were on MSN. Yes, were you? Were you? <laughs> oh, were the rest of you just in one giant bed? Never mind. I don't yeah. want to know. Can we just make it absolutely clear? We do not live together. No, yeah. in a big empire house. Or a, I'd love an empire. Wouldn't bus. it be great? Wouldn't you love that? Like a proper tour bus that just drives around London, and we all live on it in bunk beds, and we all. We're all, we're all with friends. a big sign on the side saying like 300 million to the podcast. Yeah, something. we're all super film friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Every single day. Top bunk, shotgun. <laughs> James wants a top bunk and the shotgun. Yeah, that's it. I'm I will take the bottom bunk and the sword. <laughs> Helen, what are you left with? You're left with the beanie bag. And... I'd, like a, I'd like a shield, please. <laughs> a vibranium one, ideally. An agent of, yeah. <laughs> oh, that would also work, yeah. Mm. A Clark Gregg. Oh, God, I love Greg's, don't you? Oh, I love Greg's. Love a cheese and onion Can you tell we don't have a question? <laughs> <laughs> Has nothing come through yet? You've, Something's come it's through. It's been about five Let's minutes. All right, okay. So here's We're doing happened. this live. This is almost like a live podcast. Here's, yeah, well, speaking of which, uh, no, I'll, I'll plug that later on. We had a, a question for the podcast and then James went, no, we've just answered that a couple months ago. So uh, uh, whenever I wasn't here, so I didn't realise that. So I've asked very quickly on Twitter as we're doing this for... Oh, by the way, didn't they even say what I was doing? The Alexa thing. So the Alexa thing, I'm getting up really early in the morning, right? And, uh, and so I thought to myself, I'm going to get back into the running. Because last year I did a 10K. It pales in comparison, obviously, to Helen's marathons. Uh, she's, just, she's running one now. And I, I, I did sign up for one just before you got here. Uh, <sighs> it's on Sunday. What? You well, signed up for one that's on Sunday. I mean, you know, because your body is in a state Sunday. of readiness. Is this? It, I mean, readiness is a really strong no. word for my body, but you know, I, I figured, hey, why not? Okay, here we go. Here, we, here we go. Uh, Joshua Lawson asks, best Jaws movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure. Okay. Let me be the controversial one to say it. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to overturn years of accepted wisdom and say Jaws. Yeah, it's controversial. <laughs> Although, if I'm honest with you, when I was a wee child, oh, I really liked Jaws too because it was fluffier and funnier. I mean, sharks shouldn't be fluffy. Yeah, I know, but I was a kid. Mm. I liked that they had, they had a little party on the boat <laughs> and they lashed them all together and made a makeshift raft. Out of sharks? Well, no, it was made out of boats, but the shark did its best to kind of, you know... Oh, I see, okay. ...undo their work. Mm. Darn sharks. Yeah. 
in movies. In movies. In real life, they're yeah. not so bad. Those crazy sharks. Those crazy sharks. Uh, yeah, a lot of these questions are ones that would actually take a lot of time to prepare. So let's not talk about those and let's instead go with, uh, yeah, best Jaws movie. <laughs> and someone has written in, replied to Joshua Lawson at a Josh of Note on Twitter and uh, threw in a bit of a curveball. Which is? Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Moonraker is objectively not better than Jaws, so it's not quite as good as I think it is, but I see what they did there. It's also not the best Bond movie featuring Jaws. No, it's not. That's The Spy Who Loved Me. Now, is The Spy Who Loved Me better than Jaws? No. No. <laughs> right, so if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast, you can do so via a number of methods. You're, we're on Twitter, where we're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast, or chances are we won't see your tweet. <laughs> tweet it with the respect it deserves. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, Empire Magazine. And we're on email, where we're podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, we've got a lot of guests this week. This is entirely my fault because I forgot that next week we're doing a live podcast as part of the London Podcast Festival at King's Place. Some tickets are still available, so go onto the website, www.kingsplace.co.uk, to book your tickets. Come along next Friday evening and see us three giggling idiots and Terry White have a whale of a time. If, speaking of whales, I mean... Not really, but if this helps people to buy tickets if they haven't already, I will be giving away, among other things, a giant fuck-off stuffed shark. I will be bestowing that upon someone in the audience. I mean, it's not a whale, but you see, I needed a bridge and that seemed to work. So, yeah, I will be carrying this huge shark down to the event and someone will win it. If it had been a whale shark, you might have been on Oh, yes, that would have been good. But it's not. No, it's got It's a megalodon. Mm. Is this a brand new one or is this one of the ones that we have lying it's a brand the new office? One. It's a brand new one. It's being donated. Yeah, that I will flump down yeah. on and, and have a little No, I'm not, I'm not making the comfort sharks from the office. That no, would be, can't. that would be, no, that's not happening. Genuinely more comfortable than my, than my mattress. I mean, they're amazing. Right. Yeah, they you are get, amazing. We flop down on them quite regularly. Not together, no. it has to be said. Two of those bad boys on top of each other and you are, you're, you're, all, you're on a one-way ticket to Snooze Town. It's absolutely amazing. Mm. So anyway, because I forgot that we're doing the live podcast next week, Loads of films coming out next week, and I said yes to all these guests, and then we can't put them in the live podcast, and so we have to put them in this week's podcast. So we had four guests. Okay. Uh, Lee 1L, the director of Upgrade, which we'll be talking about uh, later on, uh, came in at the weekend. We had an absolute blast, and so that's going to go up as a special. So that should be up around about the time that you're listening to this. Uh, but we got three guests this week, and so the first guest is <laughs> Tombola. Chloe Grace Moretz. Hey! Hooray! Chloe Grace Moretz. Uh, who starts course... in the miseducation of Cameron Poe. It's possible I've misunderstood this film. Yes. Which one were you watching, by the way? <laughs> I don't know, but Oscar Isaac's hair was great. Yeah. Yes. When, when James reviews our film next week in a live podcast, <laughs> he talks about the bunny back in the box oh, and. Uh, yeah. Cyrus the virus. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So she shot the fame, obviously, as Hit Girl in Kick Ass. Uh, she's been in all sorts of movies ever since, including the remake of Carrie. Um, what else? Let me in. in. You're already here, Helen. Hey. There we go. I'm so sorry. I couldn't miss it. Couldn't you miss. Could've. Open could've. goal. Open goal. So it's a remake of Carrie and Let Me In and The Fifth Wave. And she's a really fascinating actress. And uh, and it's a lot of fun in this interview. Miseducation of Cameron Post is a very serious movie about a young girl uh, who is taken to a gay re-education camp in the states because uh, her her guardian disapproves of her being a lesbian. So, here you go. Chloe Grace Moretz. Enjoy. Fantastic. All right. Should we uh, rock and roll? 
Yeah, let's hit it. Let's do this thing. DJ, this, play that back. This crazy. I wish I could be a DJ. Well, you know, is that never a strange to wish? Say never. That's a strange no, wish. No, not isn't at it? all. I mean, I I tend to DJ every party that you know. Oh, really? My family throws at the house. Yeah. Okay. Actually, on this movie, we would have a party every. Uh, we we work six day weeks. Uh huh. Twenty three day shoot. The most brutal. Okay. But uh, we would have every Saturday night we had off and Sunday morning. <laughs> and so every single Saturday night, you know, every single one, <laughs> I would have uh, the phone plugged in and I'd be DJing and Sasha would be dancing. Oh, wow. And we would throw these little dance parties to <laughs> let loose. <laughs> What was on the playlist? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it was really all over the place. But I think, you know, the main heavy hitter is always Missy Elliott. Okay. You know? Yeah. Big one. Uh, TLC. <laughs> Destiny's Child. All right. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. And is, is this a playlist you had collated or did you just stick Spotify on random? Uh, oh, no. No, yeah. No, this is like, a, you know, I sit there and I like dance while having the phone in my hand so I can choose the next song. And then I, I like cue them up. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be a terrible DJ like that if I had to go to yeah. parties and DJ because really? my tastes slide towards the maudlin guitar stuff. Oh, you know. well, you know, you got to read your crowd. That's all part of being a DJ. Yeah. You got to like read the crowd. Now you got to figure out me. what the age ranges are, yeah. see who's going to like what, you know. Uh-huh. Okay. And play for the masses. I don't know about that. I think no. I, I think I need to bludgeon people with Uh-oh. my music. Oh, I mean, that's this a is good what idea. You are going to You're listen to what like I this. like. <laughs> That's it. It's like corn, and everyone's like, "Whoa, <laughs> whoa, dude, well, that's heavy a, choice." That's a bit too heavy. <laughs> uh, we have a thing at uh, Empire we do every week called Song Wars, where everybody in the office chooses yeah. a song that they champion. And yeah. last, this week's theme was anger. <gasps> oh, so fun! It wasn't. What fun. was your choice? Well, my choice was uh, Ben Folds Five. I went for oh, a nice my upbeat piano ditty. Okay, but it's a song. It's called "Song for the Dumped." Check it out if you can. Okay. You know, let afterwards uh, I get royalties. Uh, so, so check it out. But it's it's a nice jaunty one, but it's a, it's a breakup song, so it's full of anger. But there okay. was some, there was some Slipknot, there was some Corn, there was some Nine Inch Nails. I was about to say, I would, I would probably choose office. some Slipknot or Corn. It's not I mean, really aggressive. It, it was... It, like, like oh, Yeah. It wasn't fun. We were die. on press, and everyone was just on edge and oh, getting no. a little bit... No, it wasn't You're like, fun. I need to leave this zone. <laughs> I need to go home now. Yeah, precisely. I need to curl up under my desk. I need to go away. <laughs> With this some noise-canceling headphones. Yeah. Precisely. But the DJ I meant that I was going, I would like to be... At this late stage mm-hmm. of my life was like a, like a radio DJ because there's one thing yeah. I want to do more than this anything in my life. BBC Radio One and yeah, yeah. I want to throw to it's the weather capital. people. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go and who's up in the whirly bird now today? What's going, yeah, yeah. Now what's going on over there? <laughs> <laughs> bring it back. Yeah. That's my <laughs> interpretation. That's uh, that's an accent that's been honed over years. It's been years of listening to Capital while driving yeah. to work here in England. Yeah. Uh, this is Capital FM, <laughs> the morning show. <laughs> well, strictly speaking, this building, you should be talking about absolute magic and kiss. Capital the other company, so oh, we don't God. we don't do that. I'm so but, sorry. Yeah. But what's I'm it like being back in London are you, are you okay are you finding old haunts yeah I love it I mean you know it's I, I literally grew up here for a period of time I lived yeah. here from 11 to 15 and I remember when I was younger people used to think that I was a British actress like I had more people being like so you're you know you're, you grew up here and I'm like no no just on a <laughs> lot of British things I love London. I love it, especially this time of year. It's so pretty. Yeah. It's not it's nice. You I'm stuck missed... here in Piccadilly Circus, which is yeah. not awesome. No, that's not awesome. That's but a bit of a tourist trap. It's but... a bit, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. Say. But it's fine. You, you learned to swerve last year and that stuff yeah, in, exactly. in time. Uh, but you were here to talk about the miseducation of Cameron Post. Yeah, uh, fantastic not DJing. Film. Not DJing, yes. amazingly. But uh, <laughs> I, I'll bring, I, I always bring it back to the movie eventually. <laughs> 
We'll get there. We, it might be in the end. <laughs> yeah. It might be the we'll, last we'll 10 minutes. We'll take this secure this but we'll get, get there. there. So the Miss Education can propose. Thanks, Chloe Grace. Thank Brad's you. Go see it. It is in cinemas now. When did you film this movie? About a year and a half ago? Yeah, we filmed it uh, right over the election, which was... Oh, wow. What, November? November 2016? So we filmed it November 2016. Scarily long time ago. A shocking mm. amount of time. Yeah. Uh, the things that can happen... Yes. In a year and a half. I, I'm surprised that a certain someone is still in a certain job <laughs> at um, this point in time. Yeah, he who shall not be named. Yeah, I'm mainly talking about me, but uh, yes. Oh, but, oh, God. <laughs> but uh, the, other, the other fella as well. The other yeah, guy. Yeah, the orange, the orange fella. Yeah. So you were filming on uh, Election Day as well, yeah, is that right? So we, yeah, we, we shot the movie, like I said, uh, over 23 days, uh-huh. under a million dollars, real wow. shotgun shoot. We shot it chronologically at the summer camp where we actually filmed the movie. We were living there. So it was a very uh, immersive process to say the least uh-huh. but on the day which uh, we filmed this scene where I have to jump on the table and sing the four non blondes yes. karaoke moment yes. which is probably the highest like it's the most elated moment in the film uh-huh. that was the day we found out who our president elect was uh-huh. so it was a really interesting juxtaposition to have to give that much you know, excitement and happiness and elation to a moment in which we were we were so much so in mourning. Yeah. But it was very much, you know, it, it harkened back to the story of the oppression and the feeling of 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 that latent sadness and, and how, you know, the characters need, needed that moment as much as we did that day. So it was mm. really beautiful. But it's also a film in which your character, um, Cameron Post, obviously, uh, <laughs> eternalizes a lot of stuff. Yeah. And it is a very internal performance mm-hmm. as a result of that and you know, it must be interesting then to have these moments where you do get to let go and give voice to those frustrations that are building up inside especially I guess when you're as you say shotgun shoot 23 days all the emotions must be intensified yeah it was combustive for sure yeah. um, it was it is hard doing a character that is is so quiet I love doing those type of characters you know as you can tell with let me in and mm-hmm. and and the various projects I've done as a kid till now I live for those characters that that show more through subtext than actually speaking and mm-hmm. vocalizing their issues um, so it really this movie you know really catered to me in that sense that I was able to to react instead of you know be the I think the you know the propelling force in a lot of ways mm. so it was, a, it was a wonderful opportunity but it was combustive to say the least I mean I would go home with so much like pent up Emotion, but then I would kind of put it in perspective and, and think about how these conversion therapy camps are real, yeah, uh, and the amount of oppression and, and and suppression that these kids are feeling on a daily basis. I was feeling one eighteenth of what they were going through. And this film set in 1993, but these things are still around. Very they much still so. exist. How much did you know about them going into this? Um, before you got the script, did you, you know, I think everyone's vaguely aware that yeah. this is a thing. I mean, I grew up in the Bible Belt of America. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up in Georgia in a small town. We grew up Christian Baptist, mm-hmm. which is very, you know, Southern Baptist is one of the most conservative. So we grew up in, in a town where praying the gay away, as they call it and refer to it, huh. was very real. You know, it was... The idea that being gay is a choice yeah. and that choice is the to live a life of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that was inherent and latent in our community. So obviously as I grew up under that umbrella and we eventually moved to Los Angeles and my brothers came out as gay, two of them. 
it changed a lot of the perspective in our family and that conservative strict umbrella we grew up under started to to crumble. Yeah. So it was interesting making this movie and, and educating myself onto the realities of specifically conversion therapy. Because yeah. I was aware of praying the gay away and the idea that, you know, being gay is a choice, not the way you're born. But I wasn't aware of these camps, especially the modernity of the issue. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started the rehearsal process that I found it pertinent, obviously, to meet survivors of conversion therapy in real life. And the five survivors I met were in their mid-twenties. They had been in it since they were 16, and they had been in there for about five or six years. Wow. And I was just so taken aback by the youth of it and the different socioeconomic backgrounds, the different nationalities, the different religions, some of which were put into this conversion therapy for reasons that weren't religious at all. Yeah. And, yeah. and I just, you know, I guess I was faced with the reality that they're – there is no face of conversion therapy, obviously, because there's no face of being gay. Mm. Uh, there's no one stereotype. So, yeah. yeah, the research was, I mean, for me, it was mind-blowing. And then, of course, uh, going back to Election Day and the Vice President of the United States of America has... Who advocates for... Yeah. Yep, conversion I mean, that's, therapy. That's uh, got to be an interesting situation at the moment for you guys over there. Yeah, I mean, to say the least, you have a... A vice president and an administration, you know, that across the board is trying to strip away all the different laws that we've had in place over the last several years now that that protect LGBT people. Mm. They're trying to strip those away. But in particular, we have a vice president who advocates for conversion therapy and helped funnel research from AIDS into conversion therapy progress. So, yeah, the hypocrisy there is pretty shocking. Wow. Um, And then, you know, the statistics stand for themselves. 700,000 people are currently have been through conversion therapy in America. Yeah. 77,000 teens will go through conversion therapy in the next five years. It's illegal in 14 states, but only for minors. It is legal in every state in America, uh, the practice of conversion therapy, which is insidious and, and much more real and pertinent yeah. in America than you'd think it is. That's horrifying. And in mm-hmm. fact, I mean, the, the, the movie itself is is obviously a drama, but watching it, I did feel at times that it was almost a horror movie. Oh, yeah. There's some moments. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a comedy drama. Yeah. It finds the the inherent laughter in the hypocrisy of someone facing you with what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But there are moments when you, you know, if you really boil it down and you, you really listen to what's happening and the conditioning that they're doing to these young people, yeah, it's horrifying. Yeah. It's, it's really, really disgusting. And it's also a movie on, a, on one level about taking control of your life and taking control of your, of your choices as yeah. well. And I think, you know, um, God, the first time I met you was on Kick-Ass oh years ago when you were doing the Butterfly Knife stuff. Absolutely. and uh, That must be funny for you. It's very, I feel <laughs> I have never felt older, if I'm completely honest. This is a very strange experience. I was so little. <laughs> you were so little. I was like here. <laughs> and, and, you Gosh. Know, obviously you've been acting your entire life. Yeah. Going into acting as a, as a kid, what drove you and has that changed over the years? You know, was there yeah. a point where you thought, well, is this something I'm just doing because I like it or I'm good at it or because I can make a career of it? I mean, I always just thought, honestly, I just thought it was fun when I was younger. I knew how to evoke emotion and mm-hmm. depict it. And I, I enjoyed that. It was so fun 
to to cry or to show fear or to show happiness or anger. And I loved playing with my emotions like a little puppeteer. Like mm-hmm. I I really thought that was incredibly fun. It wasn't until I was about 13 when I when I asked my mother and brother and I was like, "Oh, you know, this is it's going to be a bummer when I have to get like a real job one day." <laughs> I literally remember being like, you know, my friends are going going to go off to college and we're all going to go off to college one day and this has been really fun, but it's not like a reality. Yeah. And that was the first moment when they were like, "Oh, what? You yeah. can uh this is a career. Like people can can do this for a living." And that was the first time when I realized that I don't have to quit this. So that was a, a big shift for me at like 13 <laughs> when I realized I could make a career out of what I was doing and I wasn't okay. just clowning around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but that perspective changed again when I was, you know, about 19. Um and having made, you know, I've made about 63 movies now, worked for 15 years. Wow. Um, but for the first time, I wasn't unhappy with the content I had put out, but I felt the flame that had always been within me, this driving force to always make movies and to just make them, you know, as much as possible as I can, sometimes eight movies a year. Um, for the first time, I, I felt it dwindle, and that terrified me. Oh, really? Because, okay. Well, because this uh, making movies and being an actor is who I am. It's 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 one and the same with my skin. I mean, it's it's how I live and breathe. And so to feel this this kind of shock of when I look in the mirror and I don't quite recognize who I am as Chloe, I knew that something was wrong. And I that's when I I had to, to quit and I mm. I pulled out of the movies that I was in and I took a year and a half off of acting. Mm-hmm. And I sat back and I reassessed who I was and what I wanted to be and what content meant to me mm-hmm. and how, even though I'd been making really great projects sometimes and, and all of them that I'm proud of, I was overspending and I was in the negative and I, I emotionally or yeah, yeah I was okay. unfulfilled emotionally because I wasn't truly choosing projects that put that, you know, tinder into the fire and kept it mm. going. Mm. I was just running out of resources pretty much, even though I wasn't even connecting to it. And it's because I wasn't really connecting to that inner dialogue. And through sitting alone and reading and listening to different movies and podcasts and just immersing myself in situations that I hadn't had the time to and being alone that I started to realize who I was and what it was that I wanted to be doing. And this is the first movie that I did off the back of that break. And then the next one was Suspiria with Luca Guadagnino. Mm -hmm. So it really, what I realized it came down to was obviously stories, but first and foremost, filmmakers that had a certain perspective that could view me differently Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and view a story differently. That's interesting. It takes a chance. Especially given the directors that you've worked with in your career up yeah. until now. I mean, no slackers. No. <laughs> you know, Soderbergh is in there. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Oh, um, Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. He's small, a, young, young uh, director. That, that, he's, yeah. What, what would he ever make amount it. to? I don't know if I'll no, make no, it. No, no. I don't know. Is but, it like two hits? <laughs> that, right. Barely. That? <laughs> barely. What is movie that? Movie about a taxi driver. Yeah. Who wants what to see that? Who wants to see that? Just a guy driving around. That's rubbish. dumb. 
It's stupid. It's dumb. So, <laughs> then, so, the guy driving around. But then you, that's what it is. That's my understanding anyway. Uh, then you... Uh, then you come back and you're immediately working, as you say, with Luca Guadagnino. Uh, yeah. uh, what, 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 what's new about that situation then? What's new, what's new about you in Suspiria that he found? Well, I guess there was no preconceived notion of who, in his eyes, Chloe Grace Moretz was. Yeah. Which I feel like is a more modern thing for me. From the time I was probably about 15, I started becoming faced with that. Yeah, um, yeah. With this, just this representation and this kind of projection of who... I'm supposed to be uh, or what people expected me to act as in what roles they expected me to act in. And Desi and Luca didn't question for once um, that I could take on these characters. But not only did they not question it, they they were not afraid of me saying, like, I don't want to do anything like I've done before. Mm. And I want to... I want people to not look at it and go, oh, it's Chloe Grace Moretz in another movie. I want them to see Cameron Post. I want them to see Patricia. And I want them to be immersed in the character, not me. Yeah. Um, and that anonymity, which I felt like I lost, yeah, be of it for whatever reason, you know what I mean? But that anonymity that I lost, I wanted to regain that within myself and finding characters and fitting myself into characters' skin that felt uncomfortable. Yes, of course. And, and figuring out what that, what that feels like. If you hadn't decided to come back, what was your backup plan? Uh, taxi driving. <laughs> Just driving around. Just driving around. <laughs> you know, put up a GoPro, see what happens. <laughs> you come to London, become a taxi driver. That you got the, so you got the accent down pat. Listen to Capital all day. What the hell is that about? Uh, and then just pick no, people up and drive around. God, no. Yeah. Except Capital. London, London taxi drivers, you know, the, you know about the knowledge, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, they have to know every single street in London. I mean, that's Good just luck. that's just crazy. It's, I it's mean, impossible. I feel like I know a fair amount. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I know it better than some. You know but, uh, all the squares. Of I Monopoly know board, all the squares. It. That's it. I can get I can get myself around. I don't know the street names, but I can definitely get myself around. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> Uh, one last thing. Uh, I spoke to Matthew Vaughn recently who said that nah. he's launching his own studio, Marv Studios. And we were talking about potential projects and there's uh, lots of Kingsman stuff going on. He also said that uh, he is looking at either doing a Hit Girl prequel. I don't even know what that means. I think it means like a four-year-old killing people. I'm, that's that's as what far I was as say, I can say, how tell. do you get a prequel from an 11-year-old? <laughs> I mean, it's I'm just wondering just, how that goes. Well, cast someone younger, oh. obviously. But I mean, like, you're going like six years old? <laughs> yeah, why not? Why okay, not? Yeah, cool. Okay. So, or, I got it. Okay. or he might pick up with Mindy uh, as, as she Mindel? is now. Yeah. And see, what, see what's happened. Would if, you be interested? If, if Matthew directed it, yeah. and if Matthew did it, yeah. I, I wouldn't do it with anyone else. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that was part of... I think some of the issues with the second movie is mm-hmm. just that we didn't have Matt's stamp on it, and I, I trust way. I trust Matt implicitly. I think he's a really smart filmmaker, and you know I think he's the reason that Kickass One hit that tone on the head that no one else could have done, and he was able to you know give Hit Girl a platform that I think is incredibly iconic for who she is. But I wouldn't do it with anyone else, so maybe yeah. Let's get him on the phone. See, but only it? with Matthew. That's legally binding. Fantastic, Chloe Grace Moretz. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm going to throw the weather now. It's been okay, a lot of fun. Let's, uh, What's going up in the heli today? What's happening in the whirly bird so what's today? What's going up in the whirly bird today? <laughs> Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Okay, that was Chloe Grace Moretz. Time now for the movie news. Hell's Bells. Can we start with the non-story that isn't a story anymore? Is this the news that you're going to be playing Thomas Wayne? It is, yes. So at the beginning of the week, uh, Alec Baldwin was said to be pl- uh, 
planned to star in the Joker film mm. as Thomas Wayne, father Just to be clear, of Bruce. Which Joker film? Oh, I, I apologize. The the one that's a prequel set during the eighties. I don't know. It has Martin Scorsese involved. Right. Right. So the Joker film with wait, I know. I want to say Jared Leto, but I'm not going to. It's Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. Joaquin yes. Phoenix. I've got this. I've got this. Yes. So he was apparently going to be playing Thomas Wayne, father of Bruce, as a Trump monkey, was the way he put it in in a later tweet. Oh, I completely mispronounced it on Alexa this morning. Mm. I had no idea it was pronounced monkey. I went monk. But there's no (laughs) accent. So how would you know? Uh, In fairness, he left off the accent on this tweet, which is his bad, not yours. Bald win! That's a bald lose, if you ask me. (laughs) What's a Trump monk? Monkey. It, it means it means a, like he's not even Trump. Like he he missed the goal of being Trump. He wants to be Trump, but isn't this? I've never of heard of this word. Are you sure you haven't it's invented French. it? Monk. M A N Q U E. It's not a monk who behaves or looks like Donald Trump, and, uh, which is what you're thinking. I could see it in your head. Monks have better hair than Donald Trump. Anyway, anyway, on. yeah, they do actually. The tonsure yeah. can be much better looking. Right. So here's the thing. Um, that is, uh, I think. And I realise this has been done in the comics. There is some precedent for this. But I think this is an appalling idea for a Thomas Wayne. First of all, why on earth would we need another Thomas Wayne to appear in any further Batman film? If there is anyone on the planet who is not aware that Batman's father was killed and that's one of the things that made him Batman... Just please, just I hope you have fun under your rock. But really, the rest of us are aware of it and we don't need to see it again. So that's point one for me. Point two, if Thomas Wayne is a con man and a crook, which is what this story basically suggested, how does that square with Batman's lifelong mission? How did... What are we thinking? I don't get it. I don't understand. Now, I've heard mm-hmm. one good possible explanation of this, mm-hmm. and that is that the whole film is seen through the skewed lens of the Joker and that this is his view of what Thomas Wayne must have been because mm-hmm. that's the only thing he can imagine. Mm-hmm. That is literally the only thing that makes any possible sense for, for me. But even then, I don't understand why we need any Thomas Wayne in any further movie. It's like having Uncle Ben be an absolute douchebag. Oh God! Can you, know you imagine? I mean? Can you imagine? Just no. It just the, and, he's and there. Is, oh no, they're not douchebags. They're boiling the bags, and that's a completely different thing. <laughs> and you really don't want to get those mixed up, I guess. Uh, oh right. God. You shot my uncle Ben. There's rice everywhere. <laughs> you bastards. <laughs> That was my lunch. So anyway, it then emerged by the end of the week that actually Alec Baldwin won't be starring in the film. We don't know if someone else will in the same role. We don't know if the role has been cut because everybody went, oh, this is a terrible idea. But either way, it was a big story about nothing. Yeah. As he said uh, in a follow-up quote to the the USA Today, uh, he said 25 guys could play that role. I like Alec Baldwin a lot. Uh, He's got a very good podcast. Listen to it if if you want to check it out. It's called Here's the Thing. It's called Here's the Thing. Alec Baldwin. He's got that great voice. Hasn't he, he has a great voice. Oh my I mean, God, it's not Nick Offerman, so but it's pretty darn good. I don't know. Would you take that? I mean, if they had a voice off, that'd be amazing. But anyway. Um, Whoever wins, we all win. We all win. Yeah. It'd be like drowning in syrup. Glorious syrup. What is happening? Anyway. Um, yeah, I can kind of see. I don't think it was a good idea, but I don't think that's, that they're going to stop. I think they're just going to cast someone else. Oh, sure. Uh, and we shall see what happens. I have concerns about the timeline. I don't think that we'll see Bruce Wayne turn into Batman in this movie. But if the Joker is already played by a 40-something-year-old man in the 1980s and he's hanging out with Thomas Wayne, yeah. then what age is he going to be when Batman finally gets his 
bat L plates off the Batmobile and starts tearing it up. Uh huh. Just one of the many, many, many things that doesn't make a lot of sense on the face of it. I was on the Twitter this week. Oh God. <laughs> And while I was on the Twitter, looking at, you know, skill things on the Twitter, there was uh, someone had uh, sort of dash cam footage of someone being pulled over by the police. Uh, and they were pulled over on the freeway. And then as they pulled out and over to the police car, you saw what they'd pulled over. And they had pulled over a uh, an 80s Keaton era Batmobile with the driver in full Keaton bat suit having a very heated conversation with the traffic officer and it was the greatest thing that's ever been on the internet. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Well done. So I saw Bill Nye on the way here. Was he wearing a bat suit? No, he was wearing a suit though. He was crossing Piccadilly and it all felt very on brand for Bill (laughs) Nye. Well, not in any way related to Bill Nye, but there's been some Walking Dead things happening this week. Yes, tell Uh, me more. There's been a new trailer, which is, you know, fine. But that's not the exciting thing. The exciting thing for me is that Ryan Hurst is going to be appearing in the new series. And this will mean very little to most people, but this was Opie from Sons of Anarchy. And I've missed him, and I don't know what he's been doing since he took a lead pipe to the head in Sons of Anarchy. But he's going to be... Spoiler. uh, He's going to be playing Beta, uh, who's one of the Whisperers. And Samantha, Samantha Morton, who's already been cast, is playing Alpha, who... I'm sure you can work out, is in charge of the Whisperers. The Whisperers are uh, people who wear the skins of zombies on their faces. But why? That sounds gross. I mean, it is a bit weird, and they're not particularly well-adjusted members of, you know, post-apocalyptic society. But, uh, you know, it's a thing. Each to their own, I suppose. Yeah, so this is going to be the post-Lincoln, post-Rick era. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how this all, all pans out. I'm quite interested to see the new series of Walking Dead, and that's something I haven't said in about six years. But I feel now mm. that they've got through the whole, you know, Negan all-out war thing, although Negan is still around, it, it, hopefully it'll get good again. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how they get rid of Rick. Yeah. I really hope they don't just kill him. So do I. I think he deserves better than that. Yeah. I hope he gets to walk off in the sunset and then get eaten. Or off, off camera, obviously, because no one... He gets killed in the first episode and spends the next three or four episodes as a zombie. <laughs> Sometimes they'll have a character be bitten and then that character will get three or four episodes to say goodbye to everybody. If, they're, if it's a very slow-moving wound and they, oh, they, got, yeah. they got the fever. Uh, but I hope that doesn't happen. I, I, I hope he gets some, some happiness. And this is a show in which everyone dies. Just let someone live for once in a while, you But isn't the point bastards. of it basically nihilism? Yeah. Like, there is yeah. no... No, that's Frasier. <laughs> oh, that's nihilism. That's nihilism. There's a couple of things this week that, that excited me. One is confirmation that there will indeed be a sequel to A Quiet Place. You're not for a while. Yes, not due until 2020. Mm. So. And also, uh, Top Gun is not feeling the need, the need for speed, and that's gone back to the same year, both 2020. Yeah, so, well, obviously that they want to keep those two apart, though, you would have thought, because the sonic booms, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. Yeah. 2020. So what do we think? Nothing else has been revealed about A Quiet Place, apart from the, the date. We don't know whether it's going to pick up where the last film left off. We don't know whether John Krasinski is going to come back. I would suspect not. I would suspect not. I think um, I think he had an idea. He, he told us that he had an idea uh, for the sequel mm-hmm. before this one was even finished shooting. So I don't think it's, um, it's you know, this is not a hastily thrown together thing. He had that kind of outline, that no- notion at least in his mind already. So hopefully it's it's a strong enough hook for a, for a full film. Do you think they're aiming for 2020 because when you can't make any noise, eyesight is really important? <laughs> yes. Yes, as do I. 
So we're going to call it A Quiet Place, colon, 2020 Vision. Yeah. Is that what we're going to call it? Yeah. Uh, okay. That's official. It might be sent to submarine as, as as we pitched him on the spoiler special as we pitched to John Krasinski. And he, you could tell he loved that idea. So I think Quiet Place 2, run silent, run deep. <laughs> Quiet Place 2, yeah. hunt for Red October. Excited about that. We talk about Dwayne Johnson an awful lot in this podcast and quite often I will say I'm disappointed that he doesn't seem to be pushing himself as an actor and he doesn't hook up with A-list directors. And he seems to be doing that. There's been, a new film has been announced this week. It's called The King. He's not going to be playing Elvis Presley. Instead, he's going to be playing an incredibly important uh, historical figure in the birth uh, or in the bringing together, the joining together of Hawaii and its uh, different islands. King Kamehameha, which I... Did that quite well. I was looked, waiting for the car crash that would have been up that today, <laughs> and heard someone else pronounce it that way. So, if my pronunciation is incorrect, then please yell at YouTube. So, what do we think of this? This is going to be directed by Robert Semeckis. It's going to be written by Randall Wallace, who, of course, wrote the screenplay for Braveheart. He may have won an Oscar for that. I need to double check, but uh, this is certainly Dwayne Johnson playing a role that apparently he's wanted to play for decades. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the major figures of. Polynesian history, right? I mean, absolutely. Oceanic history. So um, that does make sense for him, I think. Um, is this live action, not animation? Live action. Like live action, that's good, because I think there's no need for it to be animated. I think it's cool. I, I just think it's a part of the world that we don't see very often on screen, so especially not live action, and uh, we don't very often hear from oceanic people, you know, as protagonists. They've kind of been the background to you know, white explorer stories. Moana. Yeah, but exactly. But that was like a big deal and that was like a first. And I feel like this is this is maybe a kind of corrective in the in the same direction. So uh so I think that I, that's very good. I'm I'm really intrigued by just that whole part of the world. Like the whole Pacific. The whole of it. Mm. And so I'm I'm intri- I'm excited to see what happens with this. It sounds to me like someone's angling for a set visit. I would like a set visit. I've always wanted to go to Hawaii but Sounds good. If he doesn't sing you're welcome, I don't want to know. I, I will, no, come on, you're always here for the rock, as am I, James. I am, it's true. In fact, speaking of which, you talked a little bit about Big Trouble in Little China mm. as well this week, about how it's going to be a sequel. I think it was someone else uh, talking about that, but not, not him. But, was it not uh, him? It wasn't was, him. Well, someone talked about it. It was someone it. else. It was an executive in charge of the film, said okay. it's going to be a sequel, which means, of course, that there is a potential for Jack Burton to return in the guise mm. of Kurt Russell. I nearly said Jack Russell in the guise, <laughs> of, the guise of Kurt Burton. Well, that would be interesting. I managed to catch myself, otherwise I could have been pretty embarrassing. Ooh. But ooh, well, our but little yes, secret, eh, listeners? Also, very exciting. It's all in the reflexes. Um, and, and a huge <laughs> sci-fi crossover. The Doctor is joining episode nine. Matt Smith, the Doctor minus one, is uh, is going to be part of the cast of a Star Doctor, Wars. surely. A Doctor, no, the Doctor. They're all the Doctor. Ah, the Doctor. Ah, the Doctor is joining. Ah, the Star Wars. <laughs> Episode 9. We don't know what he's going to be playing. Internet fan fiction prefers either A, the Doctor, uh, or B, um, some kind of love interest slash best buddy for Hux. Because they could be fabulously pantomimed together. <laughs> he's absolutely playing an Imperial Bastard, isn't he? Yeah, I think Imperial Bastard. First ba- Order Bastard. Imperial sorry. Bastard is a good guess. But to be honest, we all should have seen this coming. And I'll tell you why. Because the new Star Wars trilogy has been slowly but steadily gathering the actress with the best hair for years. And we should have known that Matt Smith would end up there because he's got that gigantic mop. And it's only a matter of time before Andrew Lincoln follows. Andrew Garfield and Andrew Lincoln. Well, who cares? All the Andrews. And Empire's John Nugent. I mean, all of them. All mm. of them? Mm. Yeah, all you, the hair. You think Matt Smith has 
the best hair. I think Matt Smith has extremely bountiful, bouncy hair. Does he have yes. the best doctor hair? No. You know my doctor is, is David Tennant, so... Your doctor's my, David Tennant. My the doctor is David Tennant. I'm saying he's follically <laughs> inferior. I think he might want to check his credentials, Helen. <laughs> I don't think he's medically qualified. But I think he can do anything. He's okay. travelled through space and time. He must have picked some stuff up. Okay. And a sonic screw, screwdriver will do wonders for your sore back. There are so many punchlines <laughs> here, and I am trying. Yeah, I am trying so hard to be a better person. Fight the good fight, Chris. I am going to fight the good fight. The best Doctor Who hair. All right, uh, Baker. Baker. Yeah, Tom. Baker. Which one? Baker. Which one? Which Baker? Tom. Tom Baker. You think Tom Baker? Yeah. Tom how Baker you, is the best get, hair. How do you get past Tom Baker's hair? Yeah. Like it's the most he's, iconic. He's eighty percent hair. He's more hair now than that. <laughs> Twisted and curly. <laughs> Why are you taking a dump on John Pertwee's hair? Why are you ignoring the claims of the Pertwee? Pertwee. Pertwee. John Pertwee, good hair. Tom Baker, good hair. Colin Baker, hair. Peter Davison, hair. Capaldi, come on, guys. Now, I'm not a big Doctor Who fan, but you gotta, you got to look at that and think that is a, 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 a landmark of coiffure. Is it coiffe, coiffe, I mean, coiffe landmark? Well, Jodie Whittaker has significantly more hair than most other Doctors, so... No, 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 she, no but it's, it's, it's not, not about just volume a, of hair. Yeah, it's not just about volume. It's also about, like, you know, the way yeah. it's deployed. It's what know? they do with it. Yeah. That William Hartnell had a lot of hair, but it just, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Even though my hair is approaching that kind of style. Even now, I'm letting it grow out. It doesn't look good. Anyway, um, Jodie Whittaker, yeah, good hair. But Capaldi, Capaldi, Capaldi. Capaldi had good hair, but I have to say, I like Tennant's hair. It's very very sticky up. I'm not looking at a picture of all the The thing doctors. is, the I thing mean, is, Doctor Who is dreadful, so who cares? <gasps> I'm sorry, I can't get on board with it. I won't get on board with it, and you can't make me. Farscape for the win. What is Doctor Who? I rest my case, my lud. <laughs> What does Doctor Who get his haircut? Um, cyber, cyber cuts, super. It's like super cuts, but that's terrible. It's not cyber. Wait, I don't no, think it's wait, a joke. wait. <laughs> <laughs> I um. No, you got nothing. I got nothing. Okay, there's nothing about Daleks. No, no. Got no Davros. No, <gasps> nothing. Okay, good. Good talk. This has been fun. <laughs> I feel like I um I feel like I went into that blind. I didn't really know where I was going. Mm-hmm. Mm. <sighs> twenty twenty vision, that's what you need. <laughs> <laughs> like Should a white place too. Sorry, I'll cut this bit out. It's fine. I'll just save my blushes. Uh let's talk about the London Film Festival. Oh yes. Um, very exciting. The lineup was announced this morning. Sadly, I couldn't go along. I say sadly because they always have pastry. Um, but uh, it's looking like a fantastic lineup. It opens with Widows, which is brilliant, the new Steve McQueen movie, always exciting. And it closes with Stan and Ollie, which is the obviously Laurel and Hardy film, also really exciting. And in between, we just got a wealth of good stuff. Um, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the new Coen Brothers film. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't even tell you what I want to see because there's too many stuff. We're, uh, we've there's got too an many empire. stuff. There's too many stuff. There's too many Look, stuff. That's a, that's a phrase. It's mm. very light on a Thursday. I'm very tired and my shoulders hurt. Um, <clears> the uh, There's an Empire Gala, of course, mm. an Empire-sponsored gala of The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, that's, which is exciting. I'm incredibly optimistic about it, Helen. 
Are you? Yeah, almost quixotic. Oh, I walked into that one. I should have known better. I still won't believe that's an actual film until I've seen it. <laughs> and even then, I don't think I'm not. I, I'm not sure that I will believe that it's an actual film uh, because Terry Gilliam's been trying to get this film made probably for longer than any of us have been alive, <laughs> and has had yeah. so many false starts. And now here it is. It played a can, so I think it's a real film. But there was some there was some legal stuff around it, can. So that must have been yeah. presumably that must have been sorted out if it's now coming to light. Or maybe we're just being Mavericks. Anyway, so it's gonna be the Laugh Gala at the, the LFF. Laugh Gala, yes. The man who killed Don Quixote with uh, Adam Driver. Uh, he's got good hair. He, he does. Has, I mean he's uh, he's your quintessential Don't bright hair, isn't he? Um, and uh, Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price. Yeah, also uh, in in the festival, the favourite, the new one from Yorgos Lanthimos, which mm-hmm. is super, Good super exciting. Cannot wait to see that. I don't know if it was, but you know, uh, I did I, my best. You did an accent. Yeah, That's, that was, <laughs> was good, very accent. Good, We've got uh, Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me, a very sort of dark-tinged uh, film for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got um, Kieran Knightley and Colette. Mm-hmm. Um, Hugh Jackman in The Front Runner, the new Jason Reitman film. Mm-hmm. Um, Life Itself from Dan Fogelman. I mean, the Outlaw King, the new David McKenzie, which, you know, I'm excited about despite myself. Uh, A Private War with uh, Ros- uh, Rosamund Pike looking fantastic. It's, it's And Suspiria. 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 With the Phil Collins theme tune. Everyone's going to love that film. <laughs> Also, Wild Rose, which I was on set of last year, is the festival gala um, starring Ooh. Jesse Buckley, which should be good as well. Oh, look at me. I was on set. <laughs> I was on set of two of these films. Ooh, so. There we go. Uh, what else? Uh, we have the new Ben Wheatley film. Yes, which is sadly has changed its name from Colin Uanus. Colin Uanus. It is now called Happy New Year, Colin Burstead. And if you want to read exclusively about that film, Ben Wheatley talking about it for the first time, pick up the new issue of Empire when it goes on sale next week and also we have the new Peter Strickland film In Fabric so that's an exciting time for British film what a great well done British film should we give hoorah and huzzah so Doctor Who right (laughs) (sighs) I know wait Doctor Who gets his hair cut with okay two problems with what you just said Sonic Scissors. Mm. Right, first of all, the name of the person is not Doctor Who. Yeah. And oh. second of all, it, as <laughs> should be perfectly obvious... It's a woman! He is not a he right it's now. It's Doctor so. Who, not Doctorette Whoell. <laughs> where does the name come from? Like, why is it the called Doctor. Doctor Who? No, where, why is it called Doctor Who, without a question mark? Well, I think actually the, the, defi- the difference between the two has maybe come a little bit later. But... I don't know. You'd have to ask somebody and in the sixties. Wasn't there? Wasn't the question mark like a a a like a symbol of Doctor Who at one point? Like one of them. Yeah, wore the, the yeah. Sylvester McCoy. So, so the question mark that was missing from the title found its way onto his clothing. Uh, let's go with that. Yes, but you don't know why it's called Doctor Who. I do not. I wasn't there in the sixties. You, so you very old, Wikipedia'd but I'm not it. that old. No, I haven't. Fine, call yourself a Whovian. <laughs> I don't think I have actually. But we should ask James White of this parish. He. I'm going to say this, and I know he listens to the podcast, and he will probably curse me because it means he's going to have to change his Wi-Fi password. But James White's Wi-Fi no, password. No, no, <laughs> no. You're not going to no. let me give away his Wi-Fi password. I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to I'm gonna call me picky, call me Mr. Weird, but no, I don't want us to give away people's passwords on the, on the, uh, on the show. It's to do with Doctor Who. Yes. Well, let's leave that there, shall we? Uh, let's, uh, let's have another guest. We're going to have our next two guests in one great big 
bunch. That's exciting, isn't it? So next week sees the release of a whole bunch of films. Uh, one of them is Final Score, which is a thriller in which Dave Batista tries to stop some bad guys and doing some bad stuff at West Ham's former ground, Upton Park. You know, of course, if you wanted to let people do bad stuff at West Ham's ground, you would just let West Ham play a game of football. Am I right, guys? Am I? Am I right? Am I right? Hello? We don't know, Chris. Yes, yes. Oh, They're okay. very bad. Anyway, <laughs> the film's out next week. It's in cinemas and also on Sky Cinema as well. as a Sky Cinema original film. And uh, I went along to spoke to Dave Batista tomorrow. So there's every chance it didn't go well and he punched me in the face. He seems like a nice guy. I don't think he'd do that. Yeah, but even like a handshake would like break my hand. That's true. So let's see how this goes. This is me in excruciating pain talking to the great Dave Batista. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Dave Batista. How are yeah. you, sir? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Are you glad to be back in London? I am. Yeah, I'm always happy to be here. I've, I've spent a lot of time here. I'm very, very fond of London. Yeah, this is like your second home, I'm, I'm presuming, over <laughs> the last really few years. I, I've spent more time here in the last five years than I probably have at, ho- at my own home. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we would we should rename Streets after you, is that? That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Leading up to Buckingham yeah, Palace. i excited. Yeah. <laughs> Batista Avenue. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Batista Streets. <laughs> Maybe somewhere in the West End. I mean, I'm particularly <laughs> fond of, of Theatre District or Kensington is, is is kind of my spot. I love that. Okay. Yeah, maybe. maybe so or maybe we can find it like an off off to the side street in, in Richmond, something like that. <laughs> yeah, near the park. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> I was going to ask about what, what how long it took you to feel at home here and, uh, and do you have any tourist tips? Say, for example... Um, Don't go to a football match on your first day. That's probably yeah. That's probably, <laughs> yeah, it's probably a You know, I haven't. I'll, I'll attend my first uh, match tomorrow, actually. But I did get. I got. What is the the mall, the shopping mall next to the Olympic Stadium? To it's Westfield, Stratford. Westfield, I Stratford. got stuck in that mall, and when a game let out. And it was a nightmare. I ended up hiding in this restaurant because I had no idea. I, it just by chance, I went there. I thought it was going to be a slow day and I was going to uh-huh. get some food and go shopping. And the game let out and there was just thousands of people that just flooded in. And then I got noticed. And then it was like I was like fighting off a mob. And then I just ran in this restaurant and I just kind of hid there in the corner and for, for hours. I stayed in this restaurant for hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. OK. And that was your first experience. On, was it your first experience no, with West Ham? That, that was actually was... on. Uh, that was when I was here on Bond. The first my okay. first long term experience was um, the first Guardians. OK. And I lived in Richmond. But All I've right. been coming here for years with with wrestling. Okay. But you say tomorrow is your first, yeah, first, yeah, first football game. Ever, I'm saying football. First ever football game. Okay. Yeah. And you're saying football too. Yeah. Which so is, is it a game or is it a match? Which one are you going to say? Uh, well, you, uh, both. Both. We're, both. We're happy yeah, with both. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, just, yeah, I'm going to see the football. I'm going to go see West Ham. Yeah. I'm okay. going to go see West Ham uh, play, play the Wolves. Okay. At, they crushed the Wolves. At that They're stadium? They're going to beat them by 20, 20 <laughs> goals. <laughs> That's the sort of scoreline that happens in football all the time. Yeah. So clearly you've absorbed it <laughs> right. in your time I, here. I know my football. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you managed to avoid football when you were over here for all well, those years. It, you know, oddly enough, I was supposed to go, I was going to go watch a game um, and I got injured. It was when I was on final score, we were actually going to go to a West Ham game and okay. I got injured. So I was unable to go. That was actually the same weekend I was going to go see uh, Triple G fight at O2, and I oh, missed that because I'm a huge boxing fan. That's my yeah, sport, yeah. actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, I think he was fighting uh, Kel Brook. Okay. Yeah. This is this movie, Final, final Score, mm. uh, it's unrealistic in one way. 
It's unrealistic in a lot of ways. <laughs> one, way, one way specifically. Yeah, okay. In that West Ham are getting to a European oh, Cup semi-final. That's the one way you choose? <laughs> that's, that's the one way you're going to find right out. out of the film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, man, we hope... Uh, well, see, we hope that everybody doesn't analyze it too much. It's, you know, don't be over-analytical about this film. Yeah. It's a fun film. It's a popcorn film. It was yeah. designed to be that. Yeah. Um, it's like one of those things. Like, I didn't go and train with uh, Navy SEALs to be technically correct for this film. You know, it was more... To me, it was more about the relationship. And it's just not that film. It's just... Yeah. It's not. We're not making Zero Dark Thirty here. We're not making. You know, this is. It's a fun film. It's a popcorn film. It's an. Yeah. It's an action film, and so that's what we want it to be. We want yeah. people to walk, go to this film and and just kind of have fun watching it. Yeah. Don't take. You know, don't take it too seriously. It does make me want to ride a motorbike up and down. I don't want to give too much away. Well, what we did in the that. film, but yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no, you actually did that. Yeah, we actually did that. Um, I didn't do a lot of the motorcycle. I did a little bit uh -huh. of the motorcycle riding, uh, but all the stunts that you see, and that's the cool thing about this because we didn't have a large budget for this film. Uh -huh. uh, so a lot of the stuff we do is. Is very practical stuff. A lot of the fight scenes are, are practical because uh -huh. we didn't have a lot of money for special effects. We yeah, used yeah, our yeah. special effects money for some of the explosions, that stuff like that, and creating. We also had to create um, the stadium to look like a, more of a 360 degree, so you couldn't see where there was ways out because there are ways out, and people could have like hopped over a fence and gotten out, or, <laughs> you know, or kicked open a window and gotten out. But we wanted to make it look like it, it was surrounded and it could okay. be actually locked down. All so right. that's kind of where the, the money went. That's where the money goes. Yeah. I think the film was like a 12 million dollar. A budget and, wow. and eleven and a half million went to Pierce, <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah. was for him to show up. We shot all his scenes yeah. in two hours. No, no that's not true at all. I think he took three hours. I think he yeah three three hours. No, I think he um, he 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 was he was there for a lot, he a lot of the film. He was there much longer than I thought he was going to be. I was actually honored to work with him yeah. and surprised that he would take a job working with someone like me. Oh, come <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. Your reputation yeah. precedes you yeah, now. It's... Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> but I was honored to work with I really am. I am awestruck by Pierce. Yeah. He's uh He's he, he's a statue of a man. He's a beautiful person, but he's even more beautiful on the inside. Like he really is, and I, I say that not joking. Yeah, he is such a good-natured, humble man. I, I love him to death. You're one of the few people now who can directly compare Brosnan oh, yeah. to Craig. Yeah. So yeah, it's always you... an, an awkward conversation. <laughs> it is because I love I love Pierce and I respect him, um, but I you know I just love Daniel as Bond. I have to be honest. I love him as Bond. He's my favorite Bond since Sean Connery, mm -hmm. and uh, so that's not to be not to dismiss anybody else who has played Bond since then. But just something about Daniel, I think, is special as James Bond. Yeah, yeah. There's something I, I love him as Bond. I, I hate to see him step down. I, I know eventually he has to, but yeah, it, it bugs me as a fan. And of course, you you could technically still be knocking around in the Bond universe. Yeah, we, we've talked about that. It comes up a lot. Um, and we, you know, believe me, we are lobbying. Uh, we talk to uh, Barbara Broccoli all the time, you know, uh, like like daily. <laughs> um, she blocking your, your calls now? <laughs> no, yeah, she, she's blocked. Oh, Batista yeah, again. Yeah, she, God damn it, it's like 3 a.m. Why is he calling me? <laughs> Get a burner hey, phone. Hey, Barbara, who are you doing? Um, but it's, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I still have somewhat of a glimmer of hope, but uh, up until now, I have not heard anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, fingers crossed. We never see a yeah, corpse. Yeah, fingers crossed. We I never really see a corpse. Yeah, I really, I really would like to come back. Uh, you, you've talked in the past about how, obviously, Guardians was your first movie, yeah. and you were 
plunged into the deep end and you had doubts about your ability yeah. to to pull it off. Yeah, well, it was my first first big film. Yeah. Yeah, I'd done smaller films, but yeah. nothing to that magnitude. It was a huge deal for me getting this role. Mm. But uh, since then, you've obviously carved out this this niche in Blade Runner 2049 and Bond and films yeah. like Bushwick. You're very, very, you're great in Bushwick. Thanks. Man. So, you know, is that something that, you know, you feel more comfortable now? Especially now, you're, you're number one on the call sheet. Uh, yeah. Movies like this and Bushwick, I, I guess. I, I, you know, it's weird. I, I still have a... Uh, I guess uh, stage fright somewhat, uh-huh. you know, I still, uh, get in, insecure and self-conscious, but I, uh, I'm just so passionate about it. I've never let fear really stop me from doing anything, anything that I, I loved and I was passionate about. So no, I, I feel like I, I, like I watch, like even now when I watch Bushwick or even now we did final score two years ago mm. and I watch it and I, I, I cringe because I know I've become a better performer since. Oh, really? Okay. So it's one of those things where I always feel like I come off every job. I feel like I'm better. I'm better. I'm on the job learning actor. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm comfortable, comfortable with it, but I always feel like I can, I can be better, you know, and I, and I want to work with, with uh, successful, you know, people with uh, very accomplished actors. So now I'm not completely comfortable. I'm still very self-conscious about my performance. Do you watch yourself in dailies? Uh, do, you, do you do that, or do you? No, I don't. I uh, I'm not. I, I don't even go watch playbacks because I will see something that I do, and I will just I would just harp on it. I would just I can't let it go. I would just think about it, think, and then it will make me more self-conscious, and then uh, I just my day will be ruined. Uh-huh. So I just don't even watch playbacks. I usually wait till the finished product, and then, uh, you know, hopefully it's cut together the way the way I'd like it to be. And it's kind of one of those things you go and you do your job and perform, and and then that's all you can do. You kind of hope, yeah. you know, that the director and the editors and the producers, uh, you know, do the best with what what you gave them. But but uh, at, at a certain point, unless you're the director uh-huh. or the producer, it it's out of your hands and I was a producer on the film this film so I gave my notes but some of the stuff it was just it was out of my hands yeah did you give your notes to yourself or <laughs> yeah you no go, no I as always, a producer you go yeah no as a well we, you know it's always a collaborative thing so yeah. you always uh what we did was after, you know, the first edit, when I said, I really don't like this. And there were certain things about my performance that they chopped up and I wasn't happy about it. And so that's when you kind of have to find a, a middle ground. And, yeah. you know, there's always like we had one scene that I had with Pierce that when we originally shot it, I thought it was really an incredible scene. It was really heartfelt, but it was just very long. So they just had to trim it down. They they had to. They had no choice. Um, but I, I just felt like there was a, a very important scene. It's also a pacing issue for an action film. You don't want to, mm. you know, an emotional scene that takes ten minutes of the film. Yeah, yeah. So they just, you know, had to, you know, we had to find a middle ground and say that okay, I'm okay with this. I guess also you've got that that real time thing going on in the background right. as well. You got right. the idea, this idea of the match going on right. at the same time. Yeah. So you just can't. I mean, that's why like certain th- scenes like that that you couldn't stretch them out too long. They yeah. just didn't work. So were you determined, and Scott Mann, the, the director as well, were you determined to make that real-time thing play out as accurately as possible? So if someone times a movie with a stopwatch... We, we you know, I, we, <laughs> we, try, we tried our best. Again, that's one of those things where hopefully nobody's yeah. going to sit down with a stopwatch. <laughs> oh, that's a challenge, Dave. But we did, we did, uh, we tried, but at the same time, we also realized that this, 
it's an entertainment movie. Yeah, you know, it's not a it's not a documentary. So we just wanted to, but we actually they did they did try, but that's at some point you have to say oh, we're just not going to be able to make that happen. So let's just <laughs> hope, hopefully nobody will notice, <laughs> and they'll just be too wrapped up and wow, this is a great fight scene. <laughs> they'll just, you know, and they'll just kind of kind of move on. And of course, this was this was shot largely, or, or how much was actually shot at West Ham's old, old ground, Upton Park? Almost almost completely. We had to come back and do some reshoots. And the funny thing is when we came back to do the reshoots, the stadium wasn't there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. It's flats now, I think. Or it's, it's being Did, are they built into, already? It's well, I guess it's two years now, so yeah. they would be, yeah. But yeah, I guess that's what it's, kind of, it's just a bittersweet thing, isn't it? Yeah. But this is how this came about is because uh, our producer, Mark Goldberg, came up with this idea. Mm-hmm. And he knew that um, they were going to destroy the stadium. And he grew up in the stadium, and it was really special to him. And he wanted to kind of pay tribute to it. Mm-hmm. And this was, the, uh, you know, this is how he did it. Those toilets. There's a, there's a fight scene in the toilets. Yeah. And they look like football stadium toilets. Yeah, and they were. They were. <laughs> I imagine they smelled like football stadium toilets. Were they okay? They did not smell great. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't, you know. And yeah. that, by that that time, you know, this the stadium was being prepped to be demolished. Yeah. So people were still using the toilets, but they weren't actually functional. Mm-hmm. You know, they were. Uh, so they smelled particularly bad. <laughs> <laughs> Unhappy memories. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It was rare. Yeah. I know it's, it sounds odd, but it's really uh, it's really a great luxury to go and not be confined to a stage mm-hmm. and not being confined to a, a trailer, but we actually to go and work in this big broad space. And we had we had our uh, the the suites were what we used as dressing rooms, mm-hmm. so they were enormous and they were like comfortable. And we go in every day, and we go in there, and we have our suites and our bathrooms, not like a little trailer bathroom, like full-on bathrooms. And then you slide open these big doors, and it's just step into this big stadium that's like got people like sprinkled out here and there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you could hear them, kind of. You could hear the echoes of voices like around the stadium. Yeah. But it was very. It was. It was like being in church. It was very peaceful. Like <laughs> no, it was, it was uh, like very peaceful, and uh, there was a very serene, calming feeling to being yeah. uh, in that environment. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. Yeah, great memories. So that's where Pierce and I, like, he'd always come by, and we'd, we'd literally just sit in the stands and just have great conversations, man. He'd go, I hear you prefer Daniel Craig, and then it'd be, it'd be awkward. Well, that, and that's why it's uncomfortable, yeah, because I don't want to make it seem like, uh, you know, because Daniel and I, I mean, we had some fun conversations, but yeah, we yeah. never had any deep, like, heartfelt conversations. Oh, really? Okay. No, but I did have those conversations with Pierce. You know, okay. like, life lessons. Yeah. I felt like I was... I he's, he's been through a lot in his life. Yeah, he's well. been through a lot, yeah. man, and I could feel, and he was not afraid to share it. And, like, I felt like every every conversation we had was it was very spiritual, and I was learning something from my from my grandmaster. <laughs> I mean, that's what it felt like. And then Daniel and I, Daniel was usually joking about something, or he was talking about, you know, he was singing a song, he was, you know, it was, or we were talking about fighting, or he was talking about uh, rugby. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was things like that. But, yeah, yeah. you know, Pierce was talking about life and losing people and loving yeah. people. You know, then that was so that was a difference. Yeah. What a contrast! Yeah, you got to work with Timothy Dalton next. You got to you, you right. got to collect <laughs> See, all he, the bonds. He's not going to speak to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> he will shun you. Yeah. He will shun you. Uh, when tomorrow, after you've had your first experience of, of football, it gets into your bloodstream, mm-hmm. your next step 
is to go to Anfield and watch a Liverpool game with Daniel Craig, who's a big fan. Okay, you know, I always, to me, I always, when I, I'm asked every once in a while to pick teams, mm-hmm. and I always, when Liverpool is playing, I always pick Liverpool. Because okay. I don't know Keep why, just like Liverpool, it just seems like a like a tough town, and it's like a town that you don't want to pick against. Uh-huh. It seemed like it would be like a team full of tough, rugged, you know, uh, Blue-collar, hard-nosed workers. That's it. Yeah, they just don't want to pick against that team. But are they those guys? Are probably like how many of the players would actually be from Liverpool? Uh, at the moment, one. One. Yeah. Yeah, and he's probably a tough sob, right? He's a he's a young kid just off the streets. <laughs> he just goes out and gets gets in fights after the game. He's he's a, he's, he's, he's called Trent Alexander Arnold, yeah. and he's going to be one of the best he's, players in the world. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> you, I'll look after you heard that, it here dude. first. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Hey, Batista, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, Thanks thank so much, Steve. Thanks, yeah, man. Pleasure. And that was Dave Batista. And then also out next week, we have American Animals, uh, which is a true life tale uh, from British director Bart Layton. It's an American set film, but it's directed by Bart Layton and stars the Irish actor Barry Keoghan. You would know him uh, from Dunkirk, where he plays George. George, he's falling down the stairs, George. Don't fall down the stairs, George. And uh, the. <laughs> not a quote from Dunkirk. <laughs> not, not, George, <laughs> Although, don't, don't do that, great. George. No, no, George. Oh, he's dead. He was um, also in The Killing of a Sacred Deer. He was in The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which, of course, was the last film from. L- Yorgos Lanthinos. Uh, yeah, ah. it was better um, the last yeah, know, time. It was better the last time. But uh, he is, and he's going to be in. Uh, why the last man? Correct as well. So they came at the pop booth a couple of weeks ago. Nick Desemlian is leading this interview, but I was there producing and slash recording it, so I leap in from time to time. Sorry about that. And uh, you will hear us probe Barry Keoghan for hot scoops about why the last man, and get absolutely nowhere. So here you go. Enjoy Bart and Barry, and Bacon Buddies. Enjoy. We're very excited to welcome uh, director Bart Layton and star Barry Keoghan of American Animals. How are you guys? Thanks for having us. That's good, yeah. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, this is a really interesting film. This is a heist movie, but I'd never seen a heist movie where they're trying to steal books. Has that <laughs> been done before, as far as you know? Do you know what? I don't think it, I, I don't think it has, yeah. It's, uh, I think it's not just that it's a weird target for a heist. It's also... That the the perpetrators are also probably not your usual suspects as well, mm. and I think that was part of what made it t- sort of bizarre and interesting for us. Yeah, sort mm. of having a library as as the um, the target it sort of gives you a Rafifi thing because they have to be quiet. It's a library. Yeah, so. <laughs> tiptoe in, tiptoe out. Yeah, and so uh, it's another interesting thing about this film is that the characters st- who are obviously based on real guys they study films is that a real thing that the, those guys actually did yeah i mean that's the other thing about you know i think people audiences find it hard to believe that um that we didn't take or i didn't take massive sort of artistic license with the story you know pretty much everything you see is is something that that really happened and yeah and you know i guess if you're not you know uh, a criminal or criminally minded and you've never done anything like that before um you know, as one of the characters, you know, the real character said there aren't books on how to commit a robbery. So they go to Blockbuster and they literally hired every every heist movie they could find. And, you know, we always say, you know, if they'd bothered to watch them to the end, they probably would have realised that most of them don't end terribly well. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and we were one of the things that we kind of said on set was, you know, in their minds it was Ocean's Eleven and in, in reality it was sort of Dog Day Afternoon. <laughs> 
<laughs> do you, so they watch Reservoir Dogs, they watch Ocean's Eleven, they watch... I think Rafifi is one of the films that they watch? Yeah, I mean, I think they just literally tried to, to watch everything. I mean, you know, the, there are... I guess there are places where, you know, I will make reference or kind of pay homage to a movie that like The Killing or Asphalt Jungle or something like that that are probably... I love as a high spin, which was probably less of an influence, you know. They, but they, you know, they were watching, you know, obviously Ocean's Eleven and uh, Snatch and things like that. You know, that was the era, um, and you know, I, I think the thing about it is that as much as you know, they, you know, the target of the robbery was um, these books worth millions of dollars that mm. were held in the Special Collections Museum of the University Library. It was more about the fantasy of, like, kind of almost living in a movie. You know, one of them, one of the real guys in his in one of the letters from prison described it as he said it was like our version of Fight Club. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like this secret that we had. We were planning this, this kind of extraordinary thing. And the truth is I'm not sure they ever, or of the four of them, I'm not sure how many of them ever thought they would end up going through with it, that mm. they thought they were going to... You know, that they were lost in this fancy, and the more time they spent planning, the more of a reality it became, but also the more detached they became from reality. You know, they didn't, you know, they didn't realize, I think they thought it was going to be a victimless crime, that it was going to be like this well oiled machine. And as we see, it's not, yeah. it's not quite like Ocean's Eleven. It's not. You do really interesting things. Your, your first film, uh, The Imposter, was a documentary, mm. but with sort of little recreations within it and then mm. this is kind of the the flip side of that where it's yeah. mostly fiction but you bring in the real guys and you kind of blur the lines which i thought was really interesting sometimes the real mm. guy and the guy playing him is in the same shot barry how was Bart it Layton twist i call it yeah <laughs> yeah is do you have a name for that type of thing I, i've come up with thriller umentary which you can have if you <laughs> want really thriller umentary like it's the, a documentary the it may have been you guys who came up with it was a docu noir which i was i thought was was that's cool. Better than Thrillagumentary. Thrillagumentary, uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that could yeah, John, catch on. <laughs> There's time to get it on the Blu-ray, I'm just saying. It takes longer to say it than it does to watch the film. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and you play Spencer, yeah. Barry. How was it meeting meeting him? And... Well, I didn't, you know, the, the scene that I'm in with Spencer is the only time, well, yeah, the only time I met him during film, I mean, because Bart wanted to keep me and the cast away from meeting the real lads. I mean, down to, you know, because it's... As an actor, you want to imitate and you want to pick up the, the traits and, you know, and, and given as well that they've had a good few years now to reflect on what they did and, you know, they might have a they might have an influence to say, like, to say to me, look, don't play me as... You know, I wasn't like that, you know, and they have a kind of... They want me to be nice then, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I got to meet them then afterwards... At the premieres, all the lads, and we hung out then. Um, we, we we hung out a lot then, yeah. Yeah, I just felt like, you know, obviously as an actor, if you're going to play a real person, you're going to think, well, why can't I go and hang out with them? And, you know, but, you know, if I wanted to portray you when you were in your teens or in your 20s, you know, like, there's a limit to how useful spending time with you now is. And also, you know, most of that, you know, they're 10 years older, most of the 10 years they'd been in in prison and had a lot of time to kind of think about it and post-rationalise it and in a way like Barry says you want you know you want to kind of allow your actors to find 
their versions of those characters and relate to them and pour themselves into it and not be limited. And as you said, you know, there's certain of them... There's a lot in the movie that those guys are really ashamed of and you could imagine that if they had access to the actors who were playing them, they might say, you know, don't make me out to be too much of a right. arse. Yeah. They might try and sway your performance a little mm. bit. Yeah. I walked more cool than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it, is it, I read that you um, contacted them when they were still in prison. Mm. How was their reaction? Were they, were they excited to hear from you or were they... Uh, well, it was funny because I think probably, you know, it ended up being... I mean, you know, without wanting to give too much away, you know, they, you know, they're certainly not the victims of, of the, you know, there was a victim, there was a, you know, a librarian who they effectively took hostage in a way. Um, but it was something, you know, they let a bad idea go way too far. And then it, when it unraveled, you know, it was devastating for their families, for the community, you know, all of this stuff. So I, I by the time I spoke to them, or wrote to them, and I worked with uh, a co-producer called Poppy Dixon, who I worked with on The Imposter, and and she initially got in touch with them and went down and saw them. And I think they hadn't really had a... Uh, you know, they hadn't had counselling, they hadn't really been able to talk to anyone about it, so suddenly all, like, the floodgates opened and all mm. of this stuff came out about... Because we only really wanted to understand the why of it. It was like, why would you, with all of this privilege and opportunity and good educations and good families, why would you squander all of that on something, even though the books are worth tens of millions of dollars? What, you know, to go through that, the chances of getting away with it, then being able to fence the books, then being able to take them to Amsterdam, mm -hmm. you know, and they're massive, these books. Mm -hmm. They're yeah, proper. Yeah, they're heavy as well. Yeah. Need a Kindle edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're works of art, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the idea that they thought that they would actually get away, that was all we wanted to know. And then, you know, a lot of stuff came out about... You know, them wanting to, you know, Barry can talk but about his character's motivation, but, you know, he was an artist who was desperate to have a story mm. to tell and to, to have something worthy of making art about. And mm. if your life is too nice and you're reading about all the great artists that have ever existed and the one thing they all have in common is that they've seen some um, pretty... The bacon stuff, sandwiches stuff. have arrived. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Barry, you just going to crack into that. <laughs> Come bearing gifts. <laughs> Live bacon sandwich eating. So, I, Barry, unfortunately, my next question is kind of for you, so <laughs> to give you some, <laughs> some warning. So what, one of the sequences I loved um, was uh, is the scene where the guys dress up as old men. They disguise themselves as kind of old codgers. Yeah. Um, which, I don't know, have you seen... Barry did not stop complaining about I was, that. Uh, I was a moan. I'd tell you. <laughs> I was like, it's too sticky, though. I don't want to do it. It's too warm, though, you know. Was it not was fun to, to dress up as... I mean... Once you were in it, you yeah. loved it, but the whole process... But I was like an old little man. I was like, oh. You know, and I kind of added to it, you know. <laughs> you see me slumping, like, you know. Like, oh. Are you trying to say you were, like, in character? I was in character. Role. I was, like, in the zone. I was like, yeah. Did you start eating toffees and sort of doing Werther's Originals? <laughs> and then they gave me a fat pack as well, which, you know, to add to it, it was like, oh, really? You know, and then the mic, you know, and... But yeah, no. So it wasn't a fun thing. No, being an old but guy. I looked great, you know, and I really, <laughs> I looked, end up looking like Einstein, didn't I? Though? Yeah, there's quite a bit of kind of like makeup and like prosthetic stuff, which mm. I guess isn't. All but that Evan was fun. great at putting it on himself. Like, yeah, yeah it was, 
master at that, you know. There's, I, I was wondering, I'm a Beastie Boys fan. And yeah. One of their music videos directed the by Spike Jones, uh, no, uh, Ricky's Theme, where the four Beastie Boys dress up as old guys really? and sort of wander around. Uh, I think they play basketball as well. Oh, yeah. It just really reminded me of that because they got the big beards and everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, was that something you were aware of? Uh, there was definitely, you know, we were, there was talk of it being a bit beastly because the thing about it was that you don't want it to be, you know, there is something comedic about it, you know, that the idea that they have in order to kind of go unnoticed or uh, to get, you know, to, to go into this library, I think they felt that the least threatening thing was going to be to dress up as old men. And there's this line in the film where... Barry's character says, you know, being old is the closest thing to being invisible. Mm. Mm. There is something truthful about that. You know, there is something about this idea that we kind of ignore. Oh, but, you know, when, when they're in these public spaces or whatever, that somehow, you know, we don't pay them a whole lot of attention and they're, they're certainly not threatening. So they'd come up with that idea that... Um, it's so clever, that, though, isn't it? You know, it? that they were going to... They were going to put, of course, you know... 20-year-olds um, trying to do their own makeup and prosthetics and put wrinkles on and moustaches and wigs and beard. I mean, you know, how, how you know, it's the chance that it's going to draw more attention than it's going to allow yeah. them to kind of pass it. And so there was a comedic thing intentionally, but also you don't want to cross the line too much into... You've got to keep it tense. Absolutely have to keep it tense because they are there... To I wonder to if the lads are, you know, before they do it, like, like, we should get a picture of this, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they I must have been tempted. I mean, there's the, a picture somewhere. I mean, <laughs> you joke, but it, it, when, you know, when I was deep into, you know, researching it, I got access to the FBI files, you know, the kind of oh. freedom of information thing, and it takes a while. And in the files, I mean, you joke about them taking yeah. a photo of themselves in disguise. There was an A4 page where... All of the plan is set out in writing, and they left it. And it even says because they gave themselves code names. Each of them gave themselves a color based on, you know, obviously, well, Reservoir Dogs, but but actually taking a Pelham one, two, three, you know, Mr. Green, Mr. Brett, you know, and there was an even Mr. Pink. And in on this piece of paper, which is in the FBI files, it says. Mr. Green, Spencer Ryan, oh Spencer, Mr. Yellow. <laughs> like, he'd literally <laughs> written it down, which would imply that they were... I'm not allowed to swear. Which would imply that they're fucking idiots. But <laughs> actually, I think the thing that you see when you see the movie is like that they were sort of lost in trying to live in a movie. Yeah. and And they allowed that to go so far that they ended up crossing a line that they should never have crossed and probably, possibly never intended to cross mm. sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, I actually, the, the costumes they wear for, was slightly based on taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3. That's more than the Beastie Boys. Okay, all right, yeah. there we go. Are you, are you somebody that's just fascinated in crime? Because obviously the two films you've done, or do you feel like that gives, the two films you've done so far kind of give a, a false sense yeah, of... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I guess... It's the first thing is, you know, is it a cracking yarn? Are you going to sit in that theatre and are you going to be, are you going to be beset by the what happens next of it, mm. or you know, are you going to feel gripped by it? But that's that has that's one part of it. The next part has to be, is it actually a story worth telling? Is it about anything of value? You know, is there a conversation that you're going to come out of the theatre? You're going to go to the pub and. 
And with this, you know, with The Imposter, that was more, that was as much a, a film about self-deception as it was about deception. This is a movie, really, which is about a group of very lost young men who are desperately searching for an identity. And, you know, and, and we're in a culture where being average... You know, the strapline on the poster is nobody wants to be ordinary. And, you know, the reality is is we're, we're in a culture where being average is really not mm. acceptable mm. anymore because the access to being famous or be you know or you know putting all your stuff out there on twitter or whatever it is or you know and and that you start to you know i worry like i've got really young kids and i worry about them feeling like their status and their place in the world is going to be tied to how depends on the followers yeah it? right mm. and mm. that and and so what it was about was these young men who were trying to leave a mark on the world mm. for the wrong reasons sort mm. of thing you know so i guess i'm less interested in crime more interested in you know these quite morally confused characters who you as a who we can all kind of relate to even though we probably shouldn't and you you and you vicariously have this kind of roller coaster emotional journey with them yeah, and Barry, is that something you can identify with, with as well? That that idea that nobody wants to be ordinary, or you know, that that, that push towards social media. And... Yeah, I've definitely stole books from my library in, <laughs> in Ireland. I really mean you know, that. You've just I've confessed not brought to a, them back. Well, you confessed to a crime, man. <laughs> Sorry I mean, about that, lads. Which one? You? They actually barred me from the library as well because I used to go in and just like you know try. There used to be a section of you know this the quiet, and then this was the the older section and. Just as a kid, I always wanted to go to the older section, you know. So I used to run in there and hide in between the <laughs> the books, the the shelves, and that. Um, but yeah, nobody wants to be ordinary. Yeah, it's definitely a, for me being on Instagram and and even Twitter. Like you know, it's I was only chatting to Shona about that as well, my girlfriend. Mm. Um, you know, it's so. You know, we, we were chatting to someone and they were like, we, we said, we said the name and they were like, how many followers do they have? You know, that was the first question. Not like, what are they like to sit with or what are they like to, <laughs> to hang out with? It was more, how many followers do they have on Instagram? You know, and they, if you were to give a low number, they'd be like, oh, you know, and they're less interested automatically then. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, really taken over that, you know, that, that status thing. Is know? that especially with being an actor? Because I've read that, you know, stars are more you likely roles, to get... Like, you lose you role know, if you're not on social media. Do you know, I have a mate who went off Twitter because he was losing out to to another lad, like, you know, because he, he had more, like, you know, the people are looking at that, like, what what's his fan base? And it's definitely come down to that now, you know. But Barry, I, I'm, I'm guessing you run your own Instagram account, given oh, yeah. that your bio simply says, fuck you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you are, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, did, did you think long and hard about that one, or was it, were, were, there, were there a number of other options? <laughs> oh, but that's you know that's that's me, you know, and I wouldn't ever let anyone control because, I mean, as well, I think Twitter and Instagram is a great. They might say something polite, which would really offend Barry. <laughs> you know, it's a great platform for you know to push yourself for things yeah, as well. Do you know, and do you know, and have your say on things. So, mm. but again, I don't take. The them things I wouldn't get into big spiels about 
you know, like having big statements to say on Twitter and, mm. and Instagram. Mm. I just use it for like for the crack. Damn straight. I just wanted to ask about um, why the last man. That's yeah. obviously a huge bit of news that just dropped. I think this week yeah. um, that you're going to be Yorick, which yeah. is obviously the the sort of very famous comic book where you're the last guy on earth and there are only women left and you yeah. have a monkey. Yeah. I'm have you have you had any tips given to you about working with a monkey? Um, I've not. No, I've actually not even got into that yet. Okay. Um, but no, I'm I'm excited for that. Like you know, it's it's some. I mean, being the last man on earth, it's it's it's, it's crazy. Bad. Imagine, I mean, <laughs> mankind re- re- relying on me. It's just a single episode. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> after spending three months on set with you, I, I'm I'm more qualified to answer like, how do you work with a monkey? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm excited to dig into that. Yeah. Did you know the story before? Have you? No, I've not read the comics. You know, I've I have all the comics at home now, and that's the first thing I'm doing when I get back. It's good digging into them. It's good. You know, it's homework. Like, imagine your homework being, yeah, of these graphic novels to dig into. No, it's exciting. That one's been around for a very long time. Has it, yeah? Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember writing a news story like 10 years ago about... Oh, it's been about, around that long, has Oh, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. I think Shia LaBeouf was going to do it at one point, and a um, long time ago. But no, it's exciting. I think... Uh, I'll beat of... you to it, Shia. <laughs> beat you to it. <laughs> Jared, be happy with that. Shia's sitting at home going, Curse you, Barry! Barry yeah. Ke- Ke- Keegan? Ke- what it? Curse you, Barry! <laughs> he bought his own monkey in preparation and everything, so he's going to be... He's gonna, no, 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 he didn't. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> have a lot of them, won't they? <laughs> Does um, does why the last man feel like you know? There's a certainly last year for you seems to have been a breakthrough. What with yeah, you know, killing I mean, the sacred deer. I've not worked in a year though. You know, so for everyone else it feels like a breakthrough. Whereas yeah. you're just like, what the fuck am I doing next? <laughs> I've sat back in Kerry going, what will I do? Like you know, I, and a lot of that has been down to being picky. You know, and I've been blessed in a way that I've got to work with with Bart and and Yorgos and and Chris Nolan and these amazing filmmakers like that. Do you know now it, it's I'm I'm trying to live up to. You know, certain. You know, does a, a reputation of to to have, and so I'm I'm being very picky in in what I do and what projects. Mm. You know, my stories I want to tell. So, well, Absolutely. guys, thank you very much. And Barry, there's still time to return those library books. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> if the library's still open. I'm going back to take more. <laughs> <laughs> no, Barry, we talked about this. You don't write down your plan and you don't tell your plan <laughs> out loud on a podcast. <laughs> That way the cops can trace it back. And we'll be accessories after the fact, so we're all screwed. So thanks a lot, Barry Keoghan. I'll join in. (laughs) Cheers, Cheers, fellas. Thank you. Okay, so Final Score and American Animals will be reviewed on next week's show, the live show. Once again, if you haven't got tickets to that, you do fancy coming along, check it out, kingsplace.co.uk. So we talk about this. what's out this week, though? Let's talk about the films that are out this week and tell people what to see at the multiplex. Yes. Let's. And first up is Upgrade. Uh, Lee Wanell special is available now for you to listen to. And this is the second film as director of Lee Wanell, who wrote the first few Saw movies and has worked with James Wan for ages. But he's striking out on his own now. And this is a Blumhouse production, a fairly low-budget sci-fi uh, with some pretty big ideas. Hell's Bells. So, yes, Logan Marshall Green, not Tom Hardy, uh, stars as Grey, who is um, living in its fairly near future. We're talking probably, what, 30, 30, 40 years, probably. About that, yeah. And uh, he is a determinedly sort of old-fashioned guy. He doesn't he doesn't like a lot of the kind of high-tech around him. He works on actual petrol cars, like a weirdo, instead of self-driving electric things like everybody else. Um, and then 
tragedy strikes one night. He's just been delivering this new fancy car to his one of his billionaire clients. And uh, he and his wife are attacked on the way home. Uh, so she is killed and he is left paralysed. Uh, Fridged more like. Well, indeed. A. And uh, then uh, the, the the same billionaire client who he'd just been delivering to feels bad about this, obviously, and suggests that Grey become essentially his experimental guinea pig uh, for a new treatment which could once again enable him to walk. Uh, the only problem with this is that it turns out to have some, let's say, unexpected side effects. He turns him into Robocop. It turns him into Robocop in yeah. a in in a way. Yes, yeah. um, this is a very uh, weird film in a lot of ways, and I mean that as a compliment. I think because in the same scene can go from being extremely funny to being super violent. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Robocop at least levels of violence. Oh this yeah, this is, is definitely R rated. Seriously, fun. yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> And and it's unexpected in that way. And I think it kept us both guessing because Chris and I, we turned to each other in the screening room at one point and we predicted a thing that was going to happen. And we were both entirely right and entirely wrong. Mm, I think I um, know exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, I was too. Right? Both entirely right and entirely wrong. And I think it's really clever that uh, that the film can keep you guessing in that way while sort of, you know, for the, lo- for the most part... Mm. Sticking to a kind of genre mm. structure, I think it's mm. good it's like an extended, expensive Black Mirror episode in many ways. Yeah, that's um, fair. I really liked it. I thought the action was fantastic. The choreography, in particular, that his fighting style is incredibly mechanical and robotic. So it's not sort of wushu, you know, the stuff we're used to seeing. Uh, it's choreographed in a very different way and it stands out because of that. And I also love the camera work during the fights where they, he does this thing where he just sort of stands bolt upright, defying physics and gravity and stuff. And the camera sort of bolted to his orientation so it follows him around. It's very, very effective. And I like the future aesthetic, which is the future mm. apparently is going to be weirdly triangular, which is, you know, nice. Uh, but no, it's good. Loads of fun. It's, it's not the most, um, shall we say... Uh, you can kind of tell where it's going for a large part of it until you can't. And I thought, you know, from a story point of view, it's not the most convoluted. It's not the most sophisticated. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a sci-fi revenge horror, isn't it? Yeah. And a kind of by the numbers one. But it's loads of fun. I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was great. And Logan Marshall Green, who is bootleg Tom Hardy, uh, and I can say that because he en masse followed all of you on Twitter this week and not me. So <laughs> fuck him. Hey. Sorry, didn't mean that. He's great. Love him. He's very good in this. He's very good in this, Still doesn't follow me, but he's very good in this. Yeah, I'm sure he'd be falling over himself to follow you now. (laughs) Now you've said fuck him in a way I can't cut out. (laughs) Honestly. This guy. What are you going to be like next week? Live Live and unleashed. Live podcast. I'm going to have to turn your mic off. (laughs) It might be wise. Oh, God. It might be wise. I shall try and avoid caffeine on the day. All week, I think. (laughs) And sugar. And sugar. I have to blindfold you as well so you don't get the <laughs> stimulus of a live audience. Put me in like a gimp suit. Yeah. Anyway, back to the film. I really liked this film. I thought it was... Um, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> Why a gimp suit? Just, you know, suggesting. <laughs> if you're coming to the live podcast and you want to bring a gimp suit for James to wear, then do so. Uh, I liked Upgrade a lot. I thought uh, it's a bit of a shame that this film kind of stiffed let's be honest about it it's stiffed in the States mm. and it's a Blumhouse film so I guess box office expectations aren't the same for those movies five million dollar budgets as they are for the big ones but you know they've just had Get Out they've just had Split and so they might have been hoping that this one breaks out the same way those films did and uh, I thought it was really well anchored uh, mm. by pound shop Tom Hardy uh, 
That's unfollowed. Unfollowed immediately. The real LMG is what he is on Twitter, and uh, he seems like quite a cool dude. Quite a yeah. cool dude. Because this is Venom. This movie is Venom, right? Yeah, this is the best Venom should... movie I think we're going to see this year. <laughs> I, it, it, we, it could well be. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It, or, or not. We don't know yet. It but... is about a man who looks a lot like Tom Hardy, uh, who is... Given take, powers. Given powers. Which by, may have a dark side. And he has to share his body with something. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it venom. is in many ways an upgrade on Venom. It's well, we don't know. Well, we don't, we don't know, know that. that. We don't know venom that. could we don't be a five star film. You don't know. It could be. It, it is. It is in an infinite universe. All things are possible. It's not necessarily going to be a turd blowing in the wind. No. In fact, in an infinite universe, somewhere there has to be a great Venom film. Yes. Yes. Uh, it, who knows? Player card be, It could be this one. Could Three be. stars then for Venom. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Genuine mistake. Uh, three stars then for Upgrade. Did I get it? No. Three stars. I got it right. That's right. Oh, okay. The film's yeah. called Upgrade. Yeah. yeah. Three okay. stars then for Upgrade, uh, which is, we always say in the podcast, is a recommendation. And next up is very much a recommendation. Yeah. It's a big old whopping five star belter. Oh, I the wish. The latest from Pavel Pavlikovsky. This is Cold War. It is uh, set in Poland, uh, Poland uh, shortly after World War II. begins in 1949, I think. Um, and uh, Victor is uh, sent around the country uh, to basically make communist propaganda and meets a sort of local peasant girl type uh, who's uh, Zula and they begin a sort of a romance and it's the story of their romance over the years that follow, uh, you know, against... They're, they're both sort of weirdly anti-authoritarian in their own ways but obviously in a totalitarian regime it's quite hard to get away with that. Um, they have to maybe go to the West if they want to sort of express themselves fully but that's not to say that the West is a paradise either so um, it's a kind of an up and down story in terms of its of its uh, construction it's got fantastic fantastic performances uh, obviously from both leads whose names I, I apologise I'm probably going to horribly mispronounce but it's mm-hmm. Thomas Cott and Joanna Kulig Yes he is rumoured to be one of the reasons behind Danny Boyle's departure from Bond 25 Interesting. One of the stories, and these are just rumours, just allegations we have to say, uh, is that Danny Boyle wanted to cast him as the bad guy and he uh, he he met resistance, shall we say. Well, they would be foolish to resist uh, on this evidence. But, you know, it, this is not a long film. It's kind, of a, it's kind of an epic romance in under 90 minutes, which is pretty impressive. Every film should be under 90 minutes. <laughs> Every film should be under... Well, many films should be under 90 minutes. But it is also just a gorgeous, gorgeous film. Like, Palakowski has an eye for an image like few directors out there and uh, I mean Andrew said in, in his review Andrew Lowry said in his review for us um, that certain shots of this should be in, in a gallery in a museum and I completely agree I, this is one of those things if you I would just have it playing on the wall of my house just for the gorgeousness of it if I could I love it so yeah a beautiful beautiful film very simple kind of story very short running time this is not one of those art house films that's going to bore your bum off um <laughs> It's it's beautiful and it's even and it's funny as well. It's not it's not just you know sort of romantic melodrama the whole way through. It's it's a gorgeous film. We give it five stars. Five stars. Five stars in for Pavel Pavlikovsky's Cold War. I have not seen it yet myself, sadly, but I will be checking it out hopefully this weekend. Looking forward to it a great deal. And because I'm useless, I also haven't seen Idris Elba's directorial debut, Yardi. 
which is about a young Jamaican gangster who comes to London, pisses off the local kingpin, and then strikes out on his own. Our review gives it three stars and says it is neither a luridly enjoyable piece of Scarface-style pulp or a nuanced genre subversion, but it is a fitfully entertaining 1980s gangster thriller with a really interesting sense, apparently, of time and place. You really get the sense of uh, of Idris Elba reveling in the London of the 1980s, a period of which, of course, he would have been, what, in his teens? If even, yeah. Yeah, running around, maybe he was believing in better. Well, Three stars then for Yardy. <laughs> three stars for Fenham. Everything's getting everything's getting three stars this week, apart from the one that gets five. Three stars then for Yardy. Uh, so do check that out if you fancy it. And we gave two stars as well to the Happy Time Murders. Sounds like it doesn't quite live up to its premise, which is of course Melissa McCarthy is a cop who teams up with a puppet cop in a world where puppets are running around and doing their puppety things. Look, if you want to see a movie, a bad taste movie about puppets, <laughs> seek out Peter Jackson's Meet the Feebles. I prepare yourself, be warned, <laughs> but also thank me as well afterwards. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Or Lil, thank me, Helen. Oh, stop it. Lil, thank me, all right. Don't worry about that. I can't have you doing that when I'm wearing earphones. It's too upsetting. I can't help it. No. A character in Meet the Feebles talks like that, and so I have to talk like this myself, Helen. Why are you putting your fingers in your ears, Helen? It's the way he says the word Helen that's most upsetting. <laughs> Come back to me, Helen. Oh, God. <laughs> it's still going. And we get four stars as well to another movie out this week, which is Searching, which uh, stars John Cho as a uh, fraught father searching desperately for his, his missing daughter. And this is a very interesting film because it's pretty much self-contained. It takes place on his computer screen as he tries to hunt down clues that will lead to her whereabouts. So four stars for searching and check that out if you can. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We will be up a day later with that podcast. We'll be up on Saturday. We're recording it live, as you've heard, at the London Podcast Festival on Friday night. Do come along to that if you're in the, in the area and you fancy it and you fancy seeing me desperately try and restrain James mm. from giving out passwords and telling Hollywood A-listers to go fuck themselves. It's going to be fun. I make no promises. Bring the gimp suit. We may need to restrain him. And I'll be bringing a shark. Yes. <laughs> Which I may or may not <laughs> jump at some point. You bring a gimp suit, he brings a shark. <laughs> that's the Empire Podcast way, and that's how you get James Dyer. I'm not sure I can come anymore. <laughs> I feel like I might be busy. No, Helen, I've just checked all your friends and your family, and you're totally free. Totally I mean, my free. hair really needs washing. Doctor Who. <laughs> no, until that auspicious occasion, of course, it is uh, goodbye from James Dyer. There he is. Look at him. Resplendent. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> it's goodbye from Helen. That was such a resplendent farewell. <laughs> Toodaloo, everybody. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to search desperately for a punchline to the question of where does Doctor Who... Hey, you know where Doctor Who goes to get his haircut? By next week, by the live show, I promisely, by Grabthar's Hammer, <laughs> which is a famous Doctor Who quote, <laughs> I, will, I shall have an answer to this. I'd like to apologise to all sci-fi fans. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. As Doctor Who himself once said, Live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.